You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Peter David, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Have a great day. Hey everybody, we're here. My name is William Hoffneck. You can call me Will. We're here with uh, my my partner today. My name is Jim Mason, and uh, you can call me Jim. <laughs> <laughs> we're here today. Um, Curtis uh, with the Epic Marvel team has given us the opportunity to re- record some episodes on crossovers, on Marvel-based crossovers specifically. And so this is what we're calling the... Epic Marvel crossover 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 crossover. (laughs) Yep, the crossover (laughs) podcast. So um, that's kind of kind of what's going on here, and and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully we're not too much of a shock from the normal the uh, normal uh, Epic Marvel podcast that you listen to uh, every week. But uh, hopefully you'll like what we do, and and uh, you know give us suggestions for what you want to hear on future episodes. Absolutely, you know, and and maybe just to kind of fill them in a little bit. Uh, we both have uh, history with podcasting. Yeah. Um, you might have heard my voice um, if you were one of my 44 active listeners on the uh, Graphic Content Podcast, uh, which is uh, hosted on podbean.com. Just search Graphic Content Podcast, where I uh, podcast a lot about what was going on Marvel, DC, the industry in general, movies, TV, all the stuff, and uh, then I stopped for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's part of how it goes, with, especially with independent podcasting. You know, when you're doing all the work yourself, you can only roll the the stone uphill so much. Yep. So. yep. And um, what about you, Will? Yeah, you've uh, you might have heard me. I, I, I currently do a uh, podcast based around uh, California locations and history called "I Love You, California." You can search for that anywhere. We're on all the. All the pod feeder, pod beans, Spotify, Spotify, Google, yeah, same same with my podcast, (laughs) the Stitchers, the Apple Podcasts, the Google Plays, you name it. But I do have a little bit of history. I used to do a StarCraft II related podcast back in the day, many, many years ago, back at the early days of StarCraft II. I ran for about a year. And then I also did a comics-based kind of a video podcast called um, Yo Graphic Raps quite a long time ago. Wow. But um, that was... I didn't even know that was the title (laughs) for that. Yeah. So... um, (laughs) Anyway, no, that's cool. Yeah, so let's kind of get into it today. As we we kind of talk, you know alluded to already, this podcast is mainly about uh, Marvel crossovers. Who remembers Marvel crossovers back when they were not so particular and and possessive of my precious yep. creations? <laughs> back when they used to play nice. Remember the Ooh, days when Marvel w- and DC played nice? I would re- I would say maybe they played nicer. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> they played they played nice as long as there was monetary value to be gained. Exactly. And any real disputes between people were settled between their softball teams. That's true. (laughs) So So we've decided to kind of go into episode one here today. Um, This is... 
you know, when, when Curtis and I first talked about doing this, we kind of talked about a, a few ideas for what to do, number one. But the one that was on my mind, first and foremost, was uh, The Incredible Hulk versus Superman. This is a, a book from 1999. And the reason, I'll go into the reasons later, but Jim, what is your history with this book? Do you remember it? You know, I remember hearing of it. Um, I was in a phase at that point where I was a little bit more DC than Marvel at the time, and the idea of crossovers thanks to Amalgam had right. just crushed me. Right. I, I, look, if, if you like Amalgam, awesome. I mean, that's the great thing about the nerd space, is that there's so many things to like, you don't have to like all of it. Right. And Amalgam just kind of hurt me. <laughs> well, maybe it was the Marvel versus DC that led up to it. Yep, yep. That, that hit me a little bit harder, but... I, I heard about it. Um, I knew Roger Stern, the writer, uh, from his run-up. Um, he had uh, jumped ship from Marvel in the late 80s to DC in the early 90s, mm-hmm. where he wrote a lot of the Superman titles. In fact, he was one of the participants in the, uh, the Death of Superman crossover. Right. And, you know, so I had respect for Stern going all the way back to his Avengers. Yeah, I, mean, and I mean, Stern is a perennial guy. He's oh. been around forever. He's done almost everything. I think he co-created the Hobgoblin over at Spider-Man yep. with J.R.J.R. Um, so I'm a fan. I, I love Roger Stern and Steve Rude. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> even 20... And we're talking about a comic book that's 20 years old yep. this year. Um, I knew Steve Rude as that Nexus guy. And I loved Nexus, even though I wasn't a regular collector of it. And I was just a fan of his Kirby-inspired madness yep. in artwork. But I, I just was like, no, no more crossovers. I'm <laughs> collecting series pure. I'm being universe pure. And, you you know, uh, Will called me up a few weeks ago, and we discussed doing this podcast. So I read the book, and it was <laughs> I wanted to scream back, to my something-something-year-old self. <laughs> and I, I, w- I want to tell myself, what the hell was I thinking? Right. Because this story is gorgeous. It, it's a great story. And that goes right into... Uh, right into so, so again, because I, I kind of called this out, Curtis went ahead and read it, and he gave us some feedback on it. And Curtis said basically the same thing. Um, and what his feedback said, I'll, I'll just kind of read it to you directly. He said... This is the first time I've ever read the book. Honestly, I'd never even heard of it before. Not sure why. It just never hit my radar. Boy, I'm glad I read this. What an incredible one-shot story. The characters have reason to meet. There's a good, solid plot. All the characters are in character. And the art, oh my goodness, what beautiful art. Steve Rude was the perfect choice to evoke a period they were going for. What makes it really feel like a 60s book is that Rude uses a very standard panel layout on all his pages. No overlapping, odd-shaped panels that were so popular in comics at the time. And the color shading is very restrained to keep more of that classic look to the pages very well done. And then Curtis goes on to say, I love that they firmly place the story uh, after the original six Hulk issues uh, by Stan and Jack. And um, Steve used that as reference for almost all his panels inside. And it was a great choice. Interesting to me that they make the characters exist in the same universe. There's no crossing dimensions or anything. Um, they they were fully aware of each other, but just hadn't met, essentially. So, so you know, just... I, w- I want to start with what Curtis said uh, on the back end, going to the front end, mm-hmm. is that I believe that Marvel, in their multiverse cosmology, coined Earth, I want to say it's 1610 which is the Marvel and DC Earth, where all creations stand, sit side by side. 
So in if I'm if I remember my yeah, numbering correctly, there is there it is a, it is its own universe. I don't think it's sixteen ten. I, it's I have, 16, I'd have to look it or, up. Or am I thinking the Ultimates are? It might be, that, um, but I I, I want to say it's like sixty eight fifty two or something weird like yeah, that. Yeah, it, it's a long number. So I'll tell you what: if you pick this up, either you know hit me up on Twitter at Jimmers with three M's and tell me because I love cosmology and comics. <laughs> but let's let's get more to the salient stuff of this. Um, Steve Rude is an absolute okay in his in his own creator in his creator owned work like Nexus. Right, he uses this really sleek yet hard ink line style, and his coloring has always been phenomenal. And it doesn't it doesn't slip in this issue. However, he honors the source material yep. of the time. And that is the first time that I think I've seen a great version of Brutish Frankenstein Hulk. Right. That Jack Kirby did in those standard comic book panel layouts, as Curtis mentioned. There was also another something that that um, I want to bring to this is that I am such a Kirby devotee that I collected a bunch of the um, hardbound uh, Jack Kirby Fourth World on right. buy. Right. And it was so reminiscent of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. With those Superman sequences. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Where there You're talking is, about the like 1970, 71, the, Jimmy 70, Olsen. 71, right. Jimmy Olsen, you know, uh, famous story just real quick. Jack Kirby came over was thinking about coming over to DC, but he didn't want to put any artists out of work. So he asked, What's your lowest selling book? And and Julie Schwartz said, It's Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. He goes, Okay, let me tackle that book. Yep. You know, this is the guy who co-created the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, Iron Man. Captain America, I mean, blah, blah, right, blah. Right, almost the Almost the entire stable. Almost the entire stable of the Marvel Universe. And he wanted to do Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, which was a, <laughs> you know, you if you're a fan of Silver Age comics, yeah, it's kind of great. But, oh, my God, it became an acid trip when, <laughs> when Jack Kirby came on that book and you got hints of what was to come. But Steve Rude deciphered the language of Kirby right. in his panel layouts where... Yes, this was undisputably Steve Rude's artwork. Yep. However, the way that I saw, there was this one panel. I can't remember exactly what was going on. It was Superman going through a bunch of mooks. And just the way that he was flying through them in this horizontally laid panel. And there was stuff going on in the foreground as there was stuff being thrown about by Superman flying through them in the background. Yep. You get this sense of three-dimensionality that you don't get even in today's comics. No, that's something that I noticed a lot was, um, which I, I think that, I mean, I mean, all respect to the, to the, to the King, right. But something that, that Steve Rude did here that in those panels that are so amazing is just what you said, where there is a three dimensionality. Yeah. There's a depth to just about every panel, right? There's, there's some of these like larger, they're not splash panels, but you know, maybe two thirds of a page panels. Right. right. Um, I'm thinking somewhere, I'm not sure what page, looks like page three or so, um, where there's Hulk and he's standing behind a rock with Rick. And then there's an army, there's like an army van kind of passing by looking for him. And then off in the distance, there's some more army vans. And you can see this depth. And he did that kind of layering extremely well. I mean, it's really outstanding art. 
Um, and then, of course, he was inked on this by Al Milgram. Who, uh, I mean, wh- I, I, I can't even talk enough about Al Milgram, who is one of the great creators and editors right. in the business. I mean, um, I just worship at the altar of Al Milgram because <laughs> he used to edit a series called Marvel Fanfare, which were all done in sure. one stories. And uh, he was tremendous talent. So you had Al Milgram on the inks, and then you had Steve Olaf on the colors. Yep, to, to bring out the color choices, which Curtis called out, right? Right. And which, le- I, mean, I mean, let me just kind of cut in. Like, the color choices, what I loved about them were, I mean, yes, the muted tones that, that kind of Curtis talked about, but what I liked was the, the muted tones, even the colors he chose, they f- even though they're brighter... And uh-huh. they're more dynamic than like the Silver Age stuff of the right, day. Right. They feel like they fit in that time. Can I tell you what I thought when I was reading mm-hmm. that book with specific regards to the color? Do you remember the days of Baxter paper? Like it was like the stuff that was coming out right after newsprint. Right. And right, right, right. Baxter okay. paper was the first kind of glossy paper to hit comics. Yeah. And in back the, in like the very early like digital editor or coloring days, even before okay. that, even really, we're talking about like the early eighties. I would say like eighty three, eighty four through the end of the eighties, and we have much better paper now. <laughs> but there was this this sort of culture shock when we would we being okay. I was a teenager in the early nineteen eighties. <laughs> I'm old, um, but I I remember my eyes opening like I'm watching Indiana Jones for the first time when I'm opening a comic, a DC comic of, uh, I think it was Vigilante at the time. Okay. No, yeah. New Teen Titans. Anyway, yep. the colors popped so much. Yep. And I had that sense like, man, this is what Jack Kirby's artwork would have looked like if yep. they had that paper technology back then. Yep. No, it's one of those things, and that's one of the great things about, you know, when they do like these, uh, you know, remasters of like the epic reprints and things like that, that are just, you get to see some of these, or the fourth world om- omnibus, like you talked about. Oh, gosh. If you're a Jack Kirby fan, grab up those fourth world omnibi. They come in soft cover now. Um, they're still expensive, but they, <laughs> they are so worth it to understand yep. the magic that he had. All right. Um, anyway. Yep, let's move on a little yep. bit. Um, I'm going to read a couple more f- uh, comments. Curtis went ahead and posted on the Epic Marvel Facebook page uh, and on his Twitter page, um, just kind of asking for a little bit of feedback. Um, we had Brian Megan say, uh, it was an excellent issue by Roger Stern, a writer associated with both characters and perfect art by Rude. In my personal Hulk reading order, I have placed uh, they have this placed as the denouement to the classic Hulk run from... Uh, you know, 62 to 99. And I think that the, he's exactly spot on right there. I, that's great. That's yep. great analysis. Um, Ivan, I'm not going to, uh, Shablopsky, uh, hopefully that's right. He came in please, and said, <laughs> Please add us with a, with a voice note of how to pronounce your name, and we promise we'll get you back. All right. It says, one of my very favorite crossovers, it showed how they interacted through the years and shared continuity without changing that continuity into something akin of Amalgam or World War Three, as we talked about earlier. Yep. Um, and then uh, David Browers on Facebook said, Steve's art, in that, uh, Soups versus Hulk is just beautiful. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about the kind of creation of this book, where it kind of came from. Um, what's weird is 
is the first thing that you notice about this book, at least one of the first things I noticed when I looked at it, is that there's no editor listed. Yeah. Um, no D- Normally for these Marvel-DC crossovers, quite often they'd either pick one and like DC would do one and Marvel would do one, or they would co-edit those books together and list kind of the co-editor of both of those. Um, nor is this seem to be, as best as I can tell, which is, According to the Rude Dude documentary, I'm not sure if you've watched that, Jim. I have not watched. It's in my queue. Haven't yep. seen it yet. It's it's an um, excellent, excellent film. Uh, really, really interesting to kind of uh, get inside the mind of Steve Rude, um, which is to kind of go back a little bit was part of the reason why I chose this book because okay. I had just watched it and I thought that. Oh, I got to do that one. <laughs> I, I've had like three close calls, and then the wife said, I want to watch this instead. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but according to the um, Steve Rude documentary, so Steve Rude had kind of sworn off working for Marvel. Yeah. He had done like a few covers or little pages, one, one or two pages here and there, but never really worked for them. Um, he said in the documentary that he got a call from Glenn Greenberg, uh, who was one of the writers and editors at the time. Um, and um, that Glenn Greenberg was just so nice, and he kind of just told him, you know, asked him what Steve wanted to do, and Steve kind of, you know, was like, I want to do something Kirby-esque, because, of course, Steve Root is a huge Jack Kirby guy. Um, and that's kind of where it came from. Um, if you guys don't know, Glenn Greenberg's a guy who... I mean, isn't really known as well for his Marvel comics. He's known much more for, again, Star Trek or Star Wars comics. He wrote a lot of Star Trek and Star Wars and has edited all that kind of stuff for years and years. So he's a guy that's been around, never been a big name, but as best we can tell, he's the closest thing to an editor that this book has. And honestly, with the pedigree of the talent that was on this book between Stern, Rude, and... and, uh, uh, Steve Olaf, and who was the letterer? Uh, Milgram. On this? Oh, oh, the letterer oh, was Milgram. Jim, yeah, Milgram and Olaf. Sorry. And then Jim Novak was the letterer. Gotcha. Okay, Novak was the letterer. So you know, with that kind of pedigree, I mean, the only thing you would really need an editor for is spell check. Yep. And <laughs> <laughs> yep. And can I just? I, I just want to segue to the world a little uh-huh. bit more. You know, I got sort of a weird kind of Batman the animated series vibe with this. Because Clark Kent, in the beginning of the book, I want to say uh, when he's reminiscing about his first encounter mm-hmm. with the Hulk, uh, uses a CRT monitor to look up information on the Hulk. But it is very firmly planted in the 1960s era with hot rods and and cars with fins on it and stuff, you know, boxy yeah, trucks. Yeah, uh, yeah, so there's a bit of a weird thing, and that's something that I, I have to, to kind of mention, too, is, is one of the other weirder parts from this is, yes, you're completely right. It's yeah. totally set in Silver Age. It's set in the 60s. Exactly. As Curtis said, it's set right after that original But Hulk it run. uses some of the storytelling devices of yep. that time in 99. Yep, and in fact, uh, <laughs> there's a point about halfway through the book, one of the, I, I, I had to make a note on this because I thought it was so absurd, where... Superman pulls out a cell phone to right, call Lois Lane. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't work at all. Now, I, I got a, my first cell phone in 2001. Yep. It didn't look like that. Nope. No. No. I mean, it was, yeah, and it was Maybe a little it was bit of a JLA communicator or yeah, something. Yeah, right. No, I'm I pretty sure. I, I was like, what the, what is going on here? Um, no, and that's something that's also interesting about this book is that they, they there's a weird mix of. Even in some of the, um, I don't want to say page layout, what is it, kind of the, the, the plot of some of the scenes where uh-huh. um, 
it's while it looks very and it feels very and the story's very Silver Age, right? There's a couple points where it's like, oh, that's modern, right? Right. Um, there is the the CRT monitor, like you're talking about. Um, there's the cell phone. There's also the scene when uh, Lois first appears and tries to talk to um, Rick. Yep. And Lo- they kind of do a shot that's like you know kind of showing off her. She's being kind of sexy and curvy. And yeah, it's like, she, you know, that's not a Very scene. Marilyn Monroe kind of look to Right, her. right. But even more skin, yeah, right? Yeah. And and it's like, I don't think that they would have laid out quite that shot the same way if it was like a Silver Age book, right? <laughs> no it, way in hell no, would it, that have gotten past the comics nope, code authority. Nope, <laughs> nope. It's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit, you know, a little bit spicier. And then yes. she kind of she kind of looks at Rick and she gives him this like side eye that's like, you know, it there, I felt like they were implying that Lois Lane is like you know trying to kind of hit on Rick for information. Are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Exactly. Robinson? <laughs> exactly. Um, cool. It, it was a, it was a moment that that kind of took me back also because <laughs> Lois is easily ten. I mean, look, Lois Lane is va va boom, right? But. You know, I mean, I know I'm saying that in the Me Too era. She's a <laughs> lovely lady mm-hmm. and has brains to match her body. And But they really played up the sort of Gene Mansfield, the sort of Marilyn Monroe, that sort of sex symbol kind of um, um, female caricature of the early 1960s. Right, and, that's, yes. and that very much is a Steve Rude thing, I feel yeah, like. I, I think it is, too. He, yeah. he, especially when he does like his non-comic art, is... A lot of his painting and stuff, again, if you watch the documentary, is very, you know, very natural women kind mm-hmm. of kind yep. of art. Um, so I have to believe that that was just a Steve Rude choice um, yeah. to yeah. kind of show her that way. Um, so let's talk a little bit. Yep. So there is, we've kind of talked a little bit about the time and place where this book takes place. But how about outside the universe? There's a few times that the Hulk and Superman have met. Yes. Um, and, I mean, it depends on... Who counts which what which times <laughs> of official meetings? But right. uh, the kind of the, the best uh, understanding is that there were three times that they've met. Um, the first time was in 1981 in Marvel Treasury number 28, uh, where Superman clearly beat up the Hulk in that ba- in that magazine. Um, I don't know if you have any recollection of that I, one. I have childhood recollection of that, and uh, at that time I was much more Marvel focused at that age. Right. And uh, I was like, oh, come on, Hulk, get up. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, like, I'm with you. Like, like you want Hulk to win, but really it's Superman. It was the silver, right? you know, <laughs> and, and even into the Bronze Age, I think, and, and this is me maybe being too deep for this podcast, but, you know, Superman was a, a, a god on, on Earth. Right. I mean, there was just nothing he could not do. I mean, in the middle of the Silver Age, he could project tiny little Superman clones out of the palm of his hand. (laughs) So, I I mean, that's how crazy his powers had gotten at one point. So, you know, looking back on that, yeah, it kind of fits, but... But... But but you, you want Hulk to win. I, you know, <laughs> at that time, I really wanted Hulk to win because he was just getting angrier and angrier, and Superman was like, stay down, pow, stay down, pow. Yeah. You know, and that was it. So, um, And then they went ahead. The second time they met up was in Marvel versus DC number three in 1996, which, again, you alluded to just a little bit ago, yeah. uh, right? But that kind of led into the Amalgam era. Um, and that's where Superman versus Hulk was decided by a fan vote. Again, with all, Superman all, winning. All of them were, div- I mean, all the various crossover. Yep issues i remember the fan vote i mean just to get off track just a little bit mm-hmm. um I, I i was you know I'm, i was all for the hulk winning that fight 
but when I saw the match between Wonder Woman and Storm, I'm like, how the hell does Storm <laughs> win that fight? She is a goddess. I right. know this. So anyway, to that's be what fair, you get with To be the, fair, aren't they both kind of goddesses? Well, one I mean, was regarded as where one was imbued yeah. with. Mm. I'm just pushing my glasses up my nose yeah. here a little bit. At this <laughs> actually, point. Well, actually. Let me tell you this. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I just... Uh, you know, and, and I, as I alluded to earlier, you know, anytime you leave it up to the fans, they're going to count it at the vote and you get what you get. And that, that's my that's why I think I loved this comic reading it now with the hindsight of all those fan votes or like, you know, the one nine hundred kill your your sidekick scheme that happened yep, yep. to Batman and Robin, <laughs> Jason Todd. You know, I, I I want the story to fit. And, yep. and when people ask me who would win in a fight? I would say I would always immediately come back to them and say, whose comic book is it? Like in a fight between Captain America and Spider-Man, for instance, is this happening in a Captain America book or Spider-Man right. book? Because whoever's on the masthead wins. Yep. That's how I see it. Yep. But in this, when you're doing a crossover, it was they handled it like a crossover, like a 50-50. And yes, they do, they definitely get into it in yep. this one. But the way that they leave this book is enough that a, you get the sense that the big blue Boy Scout actually is more than this two-dimensional paper cutout of mm -hmm. a person. And B, I felt the Hulk theme song from the TV show play at the end. <laughs> just to kind of, right, right. little slight spoilers. But, but this is one of those, it, it was one of those books that reopened my eyes to the possibility when companies can get together and, and, and they come together with the same purpose, you can get what's more important, which is a fantastic right. story. Right. And I mean, this is, that's really, you know, you know, in all the ages of crossovers, right. Or in all the, 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 the historical crossovers that we've had, a lot of them are really, really great. Not all. There's a lot oh, of really boy. bad ones out there, but there's a lot of really great ones. And you usually can sit there and go, why can't we just have more of this? Right. You know, exactly. <laughs> and I think, I think that this Hulk versus uh, Superman is quite, I mean, uh, it, I mean, I've read a lot of crossovers, not all of them yet, but um, I have to say it's on the Mount Rushmore. It right? is. It's I, I would, there. I would absolutely. And, and this is me only having the barest knowledge of it until I read it a few days ago. Mm -hmm. And now having read it, this is one of the great crossovers. Yep. It, it's, it's, it's a shame that not as many people have read it. Even as Curtis said, he said he hadn't even heard of it. Yet, yeah. Right? So um, let's kind of get into the book a little bit and kind of do a breakdown of the plot here. Um, and I have in my notes here, it was Earth 7642. Ah, yep. 7642. Yep. Got so it. that is the crossover Earth. That is the Earth where DC and Marvel uh, universes both coexist. Okay. They know of each other. Um, as we as we kind of see in the story, the way way it kind of starts out here is that Superman is at home hanging out with Lois, they watching were, TV. They were either married or very close to right. being married at this point. Yeah, I believe ninety nine. They were married already. They, so I what did think? They, yeah, they were. I just because of the the amorphous time. Yeah, that's they were true. Using. Yeah, but the, they were evidently living together. I she mean, was wearing one of his shirts. It yep, looked like. Yep, <laughs> um, and she's watching TV, and there's a news story talking about the Hulk, and uh, she kind of makes a jab because they make a comment about Earth Mightiest Heroes, the Avengers, and she's like, "How can they be Earth Mightiest if Superman right. isn't one of them?" Right. Yeah, she gets a little little protective of her man out there, but um, Superman comes home and and sees the 
what the the show's about and kind of says, you know, brings up a comment about, I wish I could have helped Bruce Banner more back when we first met. And then they go into flashback mode at that yep. point. Yep. So then they zoom back into flashback mode and, and, and you kind of see the history of how Superman um, met met Hulk and, and, and Bruce Banner, right? For the, the And this was, in fact, Superman makes a comment about how this was before, when they, they flash back, it was before everyone knew Banner was Hulk, right? Exactly. And Superman makes a comment about, um, even he fooled me. Right. Yep, right. like, I even I didn't realize that Hulk was Banner. I mean, this is the guy who can look into your DNA. Yep. With his microscopic vision. And this is also Superman flashing back to the beginning of his career. So he's in the middle of a heated rivalry with Lois Lane. That's right. Over who gets the best stories. Yep. And, you know, he got he lost out on the Hulk story because if this takes place right after Incredible Hulk number six. So Lois Lane wants to go track down the Hulk. Mm -hmm. And he has to come out with this this really out there kind of, well, I'm I'm doing this story on this scientist about seismology. And they have seismic stuff going on in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And what do you think, Chief? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, he seemed kind of a... I kind of felt bad for Lois because he, he almost <laughs> felt like it, it totally seemed like he was like, I'm going to steal this story from her. Yeah. You know? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and and there's a little part of me that thinks, you know, at that point, Clark would have stolen the right. story. Given right, the right. Chance. Yep. <laughs> um, so after not being Hulk for a while, it's kind of f- fast forward to Hulk in New Mexico. Um, Banner gets transformed. Uh, he goes on a rampage. He hadn't been Hulk for, for quite a while. Oh, can I say this real yeah. quick? This is also at the height of the Hulk Rick Jones partnership. Yes, yes. So Rick Jones, he, is, he's a significant character. Yes, in this story. he is. He is the teen sidekick character to half the Marvel universe, uh, who at this point is hanging out with the Hulk to try to help Banner cure himself of the Hulk. Now, speaking of that, Rick Jones through the story is driving quite a hot rod. Did, oh. it, did he have that in the original? I don't remember. Oh, he had a hot okay. rod, but he didn't have that hot rod. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, and the way that Rude drew it, it was like a hot rod that if you put wings on it, could fly yeah. into Venus. Yeah, no, um, it was it was like a souped up, you know, thirty two Ford. Like, oh hot yeah, rod. yeah, and and it had all terrain tires on it. Also, <laughs> yeah, it which kinda, explained how he got out into the desert right, at the right. test range. No, yeah, yeah, he he must have had those to to be able to drive out there on those dirt roads. Right, so. right. <laughs> so uh, Hulk goes on a bit of a rampage um and it, it's kind of random it's out of nowhere and this is what causes lois and kent to kind of first get eyes on this story when they hear about this like you know the, another hulk appearance down in new mexico so um clark kent then goes down to try to meet with dr banner and who does he find there oh uh okay i'm blanking here <laughs> so instead of finding instead of finding banner he finds Hmm, what's his name? It's four letters. Uh, is it the Hulk? Yeah. Well, yeah. he finds the Hulk, but he also finds Lex Luthor. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. That's what we're going I, for I, here. You know what? This is our very first podcast, so we're still working on this, yep. kids. Um, <laughs> and this is the fat Lex Luthor yes. with thinning red hair. Yes. This uh, is very much the... Uh, the the burn, the John Byrne businessman Lex right. Luthor. Right. Yeah. You know, big cigar, white suit, very... Oh, you boss know, Hog from boss the Boss Hog, exactly. Yep. 
that, that's a that's a reference for those kids out there. Yeah, the I'm sorry, I was not tracking that. I'm like, uh, I know he met the Hulk. Oh wait, oh, a yeah. minute. of course Lex Luthor has to get. So of course, there. of course, uh, what is Lex Luthor there for? He's apparently there to talk to Doctor Banner about the gamma radiation and the gamma ray. Um, but what we come to find out is that his real motivation is that he somehow believes that Banner created the Hulk. He doesn't know that Banner is the Hulk. Right. But he thinks that the Gamma Ray did create the Hulk. And so if he could get a hold of either Banner's brains uh, and somehow find a way to control the Hulk, he can use that as a weapon to stop Superman. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So what Luther kind of does from there is he creates a robot version of the Hulk, which is absolutely one of the most absurd, like, Silver Age ideas, like, that ever. <laughs> and later on in The Incredible Hulk in the Silver Age, there were so many times there were robot Hulks that were sent right. out to frame the Hulk for something right. he didn't like, do. How does this happen? I don't even understand how a robot Hulk gets made that quickly. <laughs> and one other thing that you know that was, again, just slavish devotion to to, to Jack Kirby is when the robot Hulk op- opened his mouth, he had the right. steel armature, yep. like Machine Man or... or uh, heck, I'm I'm blanking. Ultron, right, or any of those characters would have inside their mouths. So it's obviously a robot. Yep, yep. No, it's it's, it's very, blink, but very, it's very. The art very much shows the coding there. Blink and you miss it, though. Yep, you know it's one of those things. Um, and so uh, anyway, so Luther creates the robot. He uses that robot Hulk to attack Betty and Lois, uh, which tricks Superman into thinking that Hulk attacked them. Superman goes out to catch up with the Hulk, and they have a knockdown dragout fight during which Luther uses the gamma ray to shoot both of them. I believe he called it the gamma cannon. Oh yes, that's true. And it was a Kirby designed, very LS- much so. It, it was what I like to call LSD tech. Um, <laughs> right. You look at it and go, there's no way the army would use that. Doesn't matter because doesn't matter. He, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because it shoots a giant green. Ray. No, it definitely looked like a. It looked like it was a. It was a Kirby machine or a Kirby tech. Space right? Force. Yep. <laughs> um, Superman figures out that uh, he. Uh, so Hulk had already broken the robot. Hulk right. had figured out the robot. He broke it. Superman meets. They get. They get shot. They fight out. They soon kind of come to the realization together. And this is a Hulk that is. Um, still a dumb Hulk, right? This is before we had smart Hulk, right? This before. is brutish caveman yep. Hulk. Yep. Um, but he did seem, and I, and maybe this is just me, but he felt a little bit like he had a little more consciousness than he did back in Silver Age. Uh, I would agree. Um, I, I think they played more towards the Bronze Age with with his personality. Yeah. You know, where he could form almost fully complete. Right. He wasn't. Outs. He wasn't single syllable. Me Hulk. You right, know. which is when he turned green is what happened. Now, in the early, early, like the first six issues, he was gray and right. had like a caveman intelligence, but could form a sentence. So it was kind of a merging of the yep. two uh, styles of Hulk. So uh, Hulk and Superman kind of figure out together that Luther is tricking them to fight. So in turn, they team up together. Uh, Hulk basically tells Superman, hey, chuck me all the way over there. You can throw me as far as you want. You'll throw me all the way into the bunker, right? So that's what they do. Hulk basically becomes a bomb. He gets thrown into the bunker and lands and just crashes, destroys everything. Um, He's good at that. Yep, that's that's what Hulk (laughs) does best. He does that. uh, While that's going on, Superman goes straight for Luther and nabs him and... This is what one of the things that was so Silver Age to me is the fact that Superman stops Luther and nabs him, but then Luther just gets to drive away in his limo. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's Lex Luthor. Yep. 
you know, mm-hmm. and and again, that was very much the modern uh, interpretation of Lex Luthor, where he wasn't much of a scientist, nope. but he was sleazy. I mean, he was slick as horse snot and could get his way out of anything. Right. Yep. And, and they definitely played that up. Yep. And the the very much the the Silver Age, you know, there's no real consequences, right? Like, right. He's gonna. He'll be back in the next issue. It's fine. It's going to be fine. And, uh, (laughs) you know, in the background, Thunderbolt Ross is, like, embarrassed because, you know, he thought the Hulk robot attacked his his daughter. And he's embarrassed. And, you know, everybody is like, oh, how could we do... You know, but the Hulk is still a menace, you know. So everything just kind of goes back to the status quo at that point. So it was very Silver Agey in that story. And, uh, you know, and, and... you know, not to throw shade at the at Silver Age storytellers, but you know that was the thing. You know, we were trying to bring it in for each issue. Yep. So it was kind of like comfort food. You know yeah. what you're going to get. No, each issue had to be a standalone story. I mean, you could, you know, there were small changes that you could make from issue to issue. Right. But but when someone you know plopped down their ten cents to get their their comic, they expected a full story in there. Right. And I think 20 years ago, this book was prestige format and cost three ninety nine. Yep. Uh, that was a lot of change to drop for a comic book at that time. And they gave us our story's worth. It was a single Most issue, definitely. self-contained story that that managed to slot itself into both uh, characters' continuity really, really well. And like the Silver Age, reestablished the status quo by the end of the book. Yep. And it was it was a uh, it was a square bound and it looks like it looks like it was five ninety nine. Oh, five ninety nine. That yep. might have been another reason why I didn't mm-hmm. buy it at the time. <laughs> um Cool, yeah, and that pretty much ra- they they do kind of do a little bit of an end where they go back to the future. Superman and Lois, uh, they they lament about what kind of anguish now that they know that Banner was Hulk. They kind of are like, oh man, what pain he must have been in. And they use that legacy TV show to kind of help uh, propel, you know, what happened to Bruce and Betty. Yep. You know, kind of in Bruce's outing as the Hulk eventually, and now how he's a fugitive on the run through yep. uh, the American Southwest. Yep. And then, they, yeah, exactly. And they kind of show like a, a scene where Hulk and Lois are like, oh, I wonder whatever happened to him. And You mean Superman and Lois? Excuse me. Yeah, Superman and Lois. Um, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Dr. Banner, what are you doing with my wife? I know. I know. <laughs> but they, um, they, they, they kind of, they, they, they ponder about that. And then you flash to that scene of Bruce Banner kind of walking along alone, lamenting his loss of Betty. Yep. Yep. Very, very incredible Hulk TV That's what I was talking about. Oh, my God. I could just hear the music play. So. So let's kind of, let's talk a little bit. I mean, I think it's basically obvious from the way we talk. We like this book. Right. A lot. I mean, there's, there's. There's not a whole lot not to like about this book. If I could travel (laughs) 20 years back in time, I'd just say. Put down all the Wildstorm books and yep. buy this yep. one comic yep. this month. You yep. know, especially because most of those Wildstorm books are not that great. <laughs> oh my God, Wildstorm and the Young Bloods and the Spawns. <laughs> Sorry, people. Yep. Hey, love what you love. Yep. There's room to love everything, and know that your taste will will change over time. And uh, oh my God, Steve nope. Rude was doing the work of a lifetime right. in this book. Right. Um, so uh, you know, just to kind of a couple points, like I love that Silver Age treatment. Um, the the I love the idea where they use that framing device of the past, right? Where they can tell a, a Silver Age story without really breaking continuity, right? They yep. they did a really good job with that. Um, and as we talked about, Rude is just a master of designs and layouts, right? Um, 
it, it, I think that it was easy to read. It wasn't confusing. Things were clear. Um, the inks felt, um, the inks I felt really complimented Rude's pencils, the colors like we talked about. Yep. I mean, everything just kind of felt, I mean, just right to be an homage to Silver Age while also feeling, I mean, at the time, again, because of the wild storms or the, right. you know, the image style that was yep. popular and then the late nineties into the, the more modern Marvel and style. For, and don't forget, you know, the chaos that was happening behind the scenes right. of the industry, you know, DC was on the ropes. Marvel yep. had declared chapter 11 bankruptcy. You know, they didn't need image to take was a, struggling, you know, image, and image you know, was struggling. They went yeah. from selling a million books on young blood. Number one to selling almost nothing right. until, until walking dead came around. Really? Exactly. And Jim Lee had, had been entertaining offers at that point. Yep. So it is a very interesting time in comic book history. Um, and uh, you know, one thing that I think got lost in this is we talked a lot about the story, which means that we have to talk more about Roger Stern just for one sure. minute. And that is this guy told one hell of a comic book story. You know, we saw a great unison between, you know, the art, the inks, the letters, you know, the time frame, you know, the, the, the overall thought, you know, I, I'd love to talk to Steve Rude one day or Roger Stern and see how the genesis of this right. book came together. But Roger Stern was able to tell this story in, again, in a sort of like timeline amorphous way. Uh, so that you didn't have a strict read on, is it 1961 yep. or is it 1999? Yep. It was the time it was told in. Yep. And told a beautiful story in places and and a, and a great um, homage, a great um, uh, testament to the work of Lee, Kirby, Swan, yep. uh, uh, Otto Bender, you know, all the people who worked on Superman at the time, uh, Julie Schwartz, you know, all those people. So, um, And I mean, that's that's why I find it even more like, kind of confusing that the book doesn't show an editor, right? right? Because you almost have to have an editor that pieced all these pieces together, right? Maybe it was more than one. You right. know, it might have been a whole team of people. Yep. So. Um, hopefully one day we can bring you that story. Yep. Yep. I did, I did attempt to, uh, just FYI, I did attempt to reach out to Glenn Greenberg to kind of ask him some questions on this, see if he actually was the editor. Um, but, uh, he never got back to me and that's fine, but it, you know, we're hey, nobody's Glenn, Glenn <laughs> if, you hear this, guy. <laughs> if you hear this podcast, we'd love to talk. To sure. You. Um, a couple other things that I just wanted to note that were kind of off in the, in, that I, I, that just kind of stuck out to me were one, um, there's a line when Rick, uh, goes up to the fast food spot where he says that he, he orders a large cherry soda. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I couldn't figure out, is that a typo or is that a regional thing? Well, actually I think in DC comics, they have the brand soda cola. Mm. So I wonder if, if that was uh See I don't I didn't know that. Yeah, their their soda brand is Soda Cola, but with the Coca-Cola script. Uh-huh. Uh Big Belly Burger is like the what you get if, if McDonald's bought Burger King. Sure. Um, you know, things along those lines. So Yeah, the best I could find is that they there is say there is word that you know, when I searched online, um the Wiktionary did show soda as an I dialect of the word soda. Yeah. So so that it is possible it's that. It could be the DC reference, that's actually probably more likely. I It would be an interesting little nugget to put in there. Yep. I, I also like this. Um, I, I loved, uh, again, let's call back a little bit to when Rick and Lois met, um, where Rick... Uh, Rick calls Banner on the phone and tells him that he got the third degree from a Snoopy reporter. That's right. Which is now, now if you actually saw the scene, what happened was she asked Rick one question and he gets mad and like runs off. 
Rick is sensitive. <laughs> Rick is really, really, yeah, really sensitive. Yeah, it feels very like, that's not really what the third degree from a Snoopy reporter feels like. <laughs> Trust me, we've seen Lois in the 1950s TV series and the 40s serial and the early comics given the third degree yep. to criminals. Most definitely. And I, I just think Rick was, he might have been a little hormonal that yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rick was, a, Rick was kind of an interesting little sidekick for a while. Yeah, so. he, he had his whiny moments. <laughs> you know, see the Kree scroll war. Yeah, oh, jeez, oh, okay. Oh, that's another mess. Uh, well, that I, I don't know. Do you have any other comments about this book before we kind of close it out? This comic is great. If you're at a comic book convention, if you're at a comic shop, do yourself a favor. See if they have this in the back issue bins. It's Uh, probably not hard to find, and it's probably not expensive. It probably isn't, because God knows they were still overprinting despite their their, their imminent demise. Um, You can't go wrong with classic Roger Stern words or Steve Rude pencils. Yep. Gosh, and if you see either of them doing work today, support it. You know, the guys who have been in the industry for 30, 40 years like these guys, they're still pushing out work that is yep. great and is worth your uh, attention span. So, no, go, I mean, I, mean I was just having a conversation with someone the other day about how, like, uh, um, Terry Austin, the inker Terry oh. Austin, right? Guys, guys, you know, literally done like everything, right? And done some of the most important comics of all time. And, you know, he spent the last, like, 15 years of his career just inking Sonic the Hedgehog comics, yeah. right? Until those ended. Steady paycheck. Yep. And, I mean, I mean, the guy, you can still see work from, from quality creators out there. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and we're going to be talking about Terry Austin on our next podcast a little bit. Yep. So, so you want to uh, tell us what we're doing next? Yeah. Uh, you know, so when Will and I got together, uh, you know, discussing what we were going to do with the idea of this show... Um, one of my favorite books uh, that was a crossover between two companies was X-Men and the New Teen Titans. Yep. And we're talking the X-Men of the Chris Claremont, John Byrne era Mm -hmm. meets the New Teen Titans of the Marv Wolfman, George Perez area, which were the two highest-selling comic books for each company at their time. No, this was this was a book of two teams with the writing and art staff and everything that were at the height of their powers. And you want to talk about height of their powers, the villains that they chose to tease oh. this a little oh, yeah. bit were at the height of their powers, too. Yep. So, Just uh, think of some of the strongest kind of Kirby-created villains. Exactly. <laughs> so why don't you check us out on our next podcast, uh, and we'll tell you all about it. Yep. Um, so be on a lookout for that. Uh, and... Um, you know what, Jim? Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you if they want to follow you? Yeah, you know, I mentioned it at the beginning of the uh, podcast. You know, if you want to send me anything you want to correct me on, uh, <laughs> believe me, I'm, I'm, I'm a highly fallible person. Uh, the best way to hit me up is on Twitter, at Jimmers with three M's. That's uh, J-I-M-M-M-E-R? Jimmers. All right. So... Uh, J-I-M-M-M-E-R-S. You can also hit me up on Facebook at Jim Mason. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I don't pay attention to it as much as I should. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, check me out there. Awesome. And then if you want to interact with us, you can also, I mean, if you want to just go to the Epic Marvel Facebook page, and you can always always go there and interact there. Or um, if you want to find me directly, you can look me up on Twitter. That's kind of where I kind of do most of my comic book-related rantings and ravings. Um, At the, uh, at GoldenBoyPhoto1. Um, And if you want to use... 
the hashtag Epic Crossover. I'll, I'll, I'll start a search for that. I'll do um, the same. Right. And, and you can, you know, if you want to let us know what you think about the episode or ideas or crossovers you'd like to see us talk about in the future, then that's the place to go and we'll follow. Or if you want to tell Will to fire me because I'm such a you know, <laughs> jackal, you know, uh, I'll probably ignore no, it. No, I'll, I'll probably be the one to get fired first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Will, thanks so much for inviting me to do this. This has been a blast. I'm looking forward to the shows that we have coming up. Yes, sir. And uh, we're going to let it go now and uh, hopefully catch you next time. All right. Until that time, go read some comic books. Comic books.